We should be so deep into the workflow of our clients, the, the ways that they get compensated, how they get incentivized, their KPIs within their organizations, that it really becomes second nature to who we are. And that's a higher bar, I think, that product managers have to really get to in their careers. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today, I have Mo Whitenow with me. Mo is the Chief Product Officer at MRO Corporation, a leading clinical data exchange company in the healthcare space. We're here to talk about how the role of product executive have changed in an era of profitable growth and scale. But before we jump into that, I want to tell you a little bit about Mo's background. In a role as CPO, Mo drives a product strategy and roadmap for MRO. Previously, she was the VP, Senior Vice President of Corporate and Product Strategy at Cotivity, a data analytics company focused on healthcare. She has also been a product executive at InThrive, a provider-focused company. Mo spent the earlier part of her career as a management consultant at McKinsey & Company. She's a graduate of Smith College. She also earned a master's degree in health policy and management from Harvard University's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And I've had the opportunity to work with Mo recently, and I consider her a great colleague, and I'm really excited that you're here today, Mo. I appreciate you joining us for a few minutes. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me, Mike. I gave a thumbnail of your background, kind of a real crisp bio. I wonder if you'd mind sharing more about how you got this path, becoming a C CPO for a, a major company. Sure, happy to. So as I'm sure you've talked to other folks who come to your web, to your podcast, is that everybody sort of has a non-traditional path, at least in their heads. So I, too, come from a pretty non-traditional path for, to being a CPO. So I started, as you said, more from a strategy and corporate development standpoint. So looking at corporate strategy, where we should play, how we should win, kind of big idea kind of things. And then obviously also translating that into what companies to buy for the corporations that I, I was part of. So that was the, the, the start of it. And as I was thinking of, you know, I, I don't want to do strategy forever. There are people who, who spend all their lives in strategy and that's great. I sort of was looking for roles that were both a good mix of strategy and operations and product just seemed like the perfect place for me to flex my strategy muscle as well as uh, being more operational and, and in the weeds. So, you know, I started by doing more product strategy as part of my organization. So working alongside product managers and the business to kind of define where the product should go. And that kind of led itself really well into being a product leader as well. So I still do a, a fair amount of strategy, corporate strategy, even in my current role. So I lead the efforts around M&A still, but also can talk a good game about product and, and go deep in the weeds of the backlog as well. I don't know if it's just talking a good game. I think I've seen, I've seen you delivered with game as well. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you know, I'm curious, 
you're in the health tech space, and that is one of those subsets of the broad technology space. Did that come as a, a part of a planning or an intention to stay in the health? You've got a master's degree in health policy and health management. Was that the intention all along to stay in that environment, or was it just something that just, just happened or opened up that way? Yeah, so it it was a bit of a grand plan, but I wouldn't have predicted 20 years ago that this would be what I was doing in my life uh, in healthcare. So like a lot of smart little kids, I wanted to be a doctor uh, because that's kind of what you do. You know, I, I'm an immigrant to the U.S. and the typical career is, you know, you're either a doctor, an engineer, or you're a disgrace. Those are the choices. <laughs> so... I was down the path of being a, no pressure a, a on career path, isn't it? <laughs> no pressure at all. So, so I was down the path of going to med school. But you know, one of the things that happened to me, I was actually in the process of applying to med school. And when you're writing all those personal statements, the question was, you know, you you have to really dig deep and answer why do you really want to be a doctor? And I didn't really have a good reason why I wanted to be a doctor. I had good reasons for why I cared about healthcare. It's kind of a very complex industry. It is an industry where the outcome is good life. Like it's a very mission-centered kind of industry. And so I decided very early on when I made the switch from, you know, becoming a doctor that whatever I was going to do, I would do it in healthcare because that seemed to be the perfect blend of all the things that drive me as an individual. So, so I've always been in healthcare, but healthcare is fast. I've been on the payer side, the provider side, the pharma side. So I've really seen it from many different events. When you stand back and look at, like you said, 20 years ago, and the fact that you started dabbling with product people. And by the way, I'll tell you, it's addictive. That's exactly how I got caught. I didn't start out wanting to be a product manager or product executive. You just hang out with people and you have a mindset shift. So when you started yeah. having that mindset shift and, and think about today, what things stand out? As, as you sit in your position as a CPO, what, what things are you seeing shift and rotate? And we've had some of those conversations offline. So I, 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 I know you're, you kind of sit with that and, and, and live with that a little bit. I just wondered if you'd share some, some of the things that you're seeing as, as you move into this role. Yeah. So a couple of things. One is the role of product. Product as a role in American corporations is becoming more entrenched and a real role. I mean, everybody knows CEO, CFO, you know, CTO, but the introduction of a chief product officer or a product function is really becoming better known. It's not, I would say it's, it's not only known within the tech space, even before, beyond technology, talk to people who manage products in the pharmaceutical space where they're not actually developing any technology at, at all. It's about the therapeutic or whatever the area is or the delivery mechanism. So I'd say just cementing itself in the space that is uh, going on. Secondly, I'd say the, the other piece is as more companies are moving from analog to digital, the importance of product and having product thinking across any organization is becoming more important. And so I sort of see my role as a product leader uh, to be an evangelist across all of those areas. And then lastly, I'd say with all of these change of the definition of what product is, is expanding the scope of what a product leader should be. So by that, I mean, for example, 
there are folks who get paid for services. So how do you product manage a service? So it's no longer really just software getting eyeballs on a screen as the job of a product manager or just shipping tools, software. It's becoming a little bit more amorphous and much more open-ended. And you start to think about data products or AI products. They're a lot more difficult and more less tangible. And so thinking about the role of a product leader, I think it's that's a big shift. Folks who got into product as sort of tech leaders, people who came from engineering, making the switch to, to product, I'm seeing much more diversification of the types of backgrounds of people going into product these days. You know, when you were describing sort of this entrenchment process of the role of product, the function of product, and not just adding a CPO to it, that's probably the, 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 the broadest or most visible manifestation I thought about. Several years ago, I had an engagement with a major bank, a household name bank, and I did a workshop with them and they had some 40 odd product managers inside the bank and not one that you'd naturally think, well, what's the product manager inside a bank do? And there are two things you just hit on it. I'll, I'll draw out even outside of healthcare. One, they are digitized, shifting from analog to digital. So their services are enabled through software. So the role of product manager, wherever you have software being, being deployed to help drive the business is important to your point. The other one is that you think about services, services as a whole, they're more consumable if they're productized, right? So right. if you think about loan products being an example, how many different loan, you can go to a website for a bank and look at loan portfolio products and they're all productized. So you're right. The, the thinking is shifting the whole intelligence that we have around what does it mean to provide a capability like this makes the role of product management a lot more relevant in any business. I want to spin on something that you or amplify something that you talked about, which I find intriguing. Your current company is sort of a mixture of that kind of organization, isn't it? I don't want you to go yep. into necessarily a lot of detail about MRO. But they are a technology company, and yet they are a services company as well. Fair? Yes, that is how true. Do, how does product management then do that sort of dance? I mean, I can understand, and my background says I could get comfortable with the technology part, get comfortable with the software part of this, but then there's a service component that can match along or align with that very tightly. Talk a little bit about the kinds of things you have to help your team understand and do when they do their job. Yes, and, and you're right. So we are in an organization where we have both services products and technology products that we sell. The beauty of that is when you're talking about a services product, the product manager knows that it's very hard for us to realize value until it actually hits the client definition of value, whether that's their savings in terms of labor, or revenue in some of our products, we actually help hospitals make more money or avoid penalties that would reduce their money. So when you're in a services environment, I actually think that is a harder position to be as a product manager because you don't have the benefit of pretty pictures, if you will, <laughs> pretty screens to show the value. Like there's a tendency in product management, at least in the tech side, to really think that just because somebody can see something that is actually generating value. In services, there's nothing to see. So 
And there's nothing <laughs> to ship either, right? Exactly. There's, there's nothing to ship. <laughs> there's nothing to see. The, the other person only realizes value when you've actually delivered value, which is a lot more difficult to do. So what's that caused our folks to do? I have a product manager in one of our products is he's become so embedded in the process of delivery that he knows all the different levers that he has in his toolkit to generate value for clients. And I think that's actually where all product managers should be. We should be so deep into the workflow of our clients, the, the ways that they get compensated, how they get incentivized, their KPIs within their organizations, that it really becomes second nature to who we are. And that's a higher bar, I think, that product managers have to really um, get to uh, in their careers. I, I agree. That is a much higher bar. It sort of pushes on some of the things, in fact, things that I like to talk about, which are the elements and the emphasis shift away from building something to actually creating something that's consumable. It shifts us to go to market motions. And I know I've heard you talk about this. In fact, I was smiling when you were talking about delivering value because I was reminded of a conversation you and I participated in about a month ago. And now you're smiling as you remember it as well, with that conversation discussion about what is value. And it, it is, I'm, I'm just completely in agreement with you. It is when the customer or user experiences some change, step change in their behavior, in their work output because of the use of our capability, technology, or service. So with that said, talk to us a little bit about how you see this connection between the product management role and this whole go-to-market customer-facing piece of the organization, any organization, your current organization or previous organizations? Yes, sure. So I think of product management as really a part of the go-to-market team. You know, a product manager might not be in every uh, capabilities presentation, but they absolutely have to be the ones who represent the value to the prospect or to the existing client if, if it's an upsell. So one, the responsibility of a product manager is to really be the voice of the market to, to the business. And essentially, they can't do that if they're not spending enough time in front of customers, in front of users, in front of the, the folks who are actually benefiting from the value. So by, by virtue of just being a product manager, you got to be much more market facing than normal, uh, if you will, than let's say engineering, though there are people who will say engineering should be just as market facing as anybody else. Um, so that's one. The second piece is in order to articulate the value of a solution, which is a little bit of a joint job between product management and product marketing, the product manager really has to be able to speak the, 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 the language of the market, the language of go-to-market so that they can better articulate in the terms that the buyer understands, the buyer actually buys and, and finds credible. And I actually think product management makes a really good member of the go-to-market team because there's a little bit more credibility, right? Like the prospect knows that we're not commissioned typically. So we have less, if you will, to gain in just closing that one deal. And as a result, I think it brings much more credibility into the role and into who else um, the sales team might bring to a deal. And then lastly, I would say 
the the other part of the go to market is, you know, I always think of product is it's like you're a mom, you know, all of the accountability and none of the authority. <laughs> so everybody is expecting you to to deliver, but you can't really make them do anything. Though I, I guess as a mom, I'd say I, I probably can make. I was going to say you 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 have some leverage there, don't you? <laughs> yes. But, you know, even in areas that, frankly, you know, product management doesn't have authority to, but go-to-market success, meaning sales, client retention, all of the other upsell rates, all that, absolutely product management is accountable for those things. Because if my product's not selling, if my product's not being used, if my product's not delivering value, that absolutely turns to me. Sales does a good job of putting it out there into the market, but they absolutely have to be fed by by product management. And that's why the role is becoming more and more important, which means in my mind, what what that translates to is you kind of have to define as a product manager what you need to be good at. And I would say go to market success. Absolutely. You got to be able to be a leader either as an evangelist for the space. Uh, that's why I do a whole bunch of talking in my in my um vertical in my area in healthcare, um, or even through the salespeople, through sales enablement and training and all those things that are required for go-to-market success. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. So I want to kind of rotate a little bit. Maybe, maybe it's devil's advocate, maybe a little bit. What do you say to the product managers? But I don't really feel like I should be out selling. And what I'm, some of what I'm hearing you say is meaning you're, you're putting some of the, the activities, the customer activities for selling meat, pitching, that sort of thing. How, how do you, how do you coach someone? Because it can be a fine line and there are perceptions out there that say that that's, that's, that's a bridge too far, so to speak, is to show up and be arm in arm with the salesperson making a pitch. Some do, some don't. So how do you distinguish the, how do you help the person distinguish between the market knowledge gathering part of that role that's essential versus being tied in tandem with the salesperson and drug around from account to account to help close deals? Because that's also the other end of the spectrum where it can become, we'll say, less effective or not effective at all, right? Yes. So I, I would say there is a balance. There is a perfect balance that one has to strike between all the different areas. So I think of, you know, there's kind of three buckets in a product leader role. One is kind of being market facing, in, insights gathering and translating and, and, and helping with messaging. The second one is working with engineering and operations to really deliver the solution. And then lastly, is kind of team building and building your people instead of all the internals. The tendency for most product managers, and I don't have the data, I'm sure the data is out there, is to think product management's job is to babysit engineering. And um, that's probably the, the crassest way. And the inertia tends to really pull 
product management inward. So as a result, I have yet to find product leaders that are so externally focused that it's to the detriment of their other job. If anything, we have to over-rotate and be much more market-facing to compensate for the pull in turn. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be in every deal, right? If I have to be in every deal, I'm actually doing my salespeople a disservice because they'll never learn how to sell the product. If I have to be in every single conversation, then I didn't work with sales enablement enough to train the salespeople to be able to articulate the value. So that there is a fine balance. There is too much. But to me, I'd say most product people, especially those who grew up in engineering, they find their sweet spot, their comfort is staying inward and not really spending enough time in the market. So, so then just to, to let you know, I haven't seen recent data, but the data supports what you're saying is that product managers, especially in the technology space, have over-rotated and the, the draw or the tractor beam from engineering has a much stronger pool in most organizations than it does the other way. I'm reminded of something I, I two years ago, I was taking golf lessons, trying to take a very sad game that I play and but I enjoy. And my, my instructor kept saying, over-exaggerate. And that's exactly what you're saying, is you would rather see as a leader, your product team over-exaggerate to compensate for this natural draw or pull inward. That, that's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And I'll give you an example of, a, of an exercise that I asked my team to do. So I, I put all my product owners and I asked them a question. I said, you know, what's a user story, right? A user story is a representation of what the user wants or what they need, right? You're writing to the Scrum team and you're writing them this letter and you're saying, as a, you know, 40-year-old mom, I want to have my house cleaned by 6 p.m., right? That's a user story. Now, the trust that the engineering team has is that you spend so much time with 40-year-old mom that you know what a 40-year-old mom needs. Unfortunately, a lot of product folks, product owners, product managers, don't actually spend enough time with real users really going deep into their needs for them to be credible spokespeople on behalf of the user. And that's why it's so important for us to spend more time with customers, with prospects, and with users, because otherwise, I don't want to overstate this. Otherwise, we're lying to the scrum teams to say we know what they need. If I'm not well, there's an expletive time, that you can leave. You're making stuff up, exactly. right? You're making yeah. things up. Yes, yes. And I don't want to be a leader of an organization where people are making things up. We have to know enough of a diverse set of our customer base and our user base to be credible representatives of what of what they want. I, I like the way you shared that because I think that then pushes the onus back on all of us who do this work to be authentic in the work, right? I will also amplify what you said that as I go across the collection of clients that I have, I, I ask a slightly vari variation of your quiz question to your team, which is who is your primary persona? and get to see if they can surface anything. And most of the time, they will give me a title of a person. They'll give me a right. functional department they work in. And the pushback is that's not good enough to hand a story off to engineering. Right. And if you get engineers in a room, they'll tell you, no, I can't work with that. That's not 
that's not enough for me. So your, your point about over-rotating or, or leaning into the outbound side of the business, I think has benefit obviously to push the product forward, which is what we really care about if we're in this business to generate revenue and generate value for customers and to make the business successful. But also the knowledge base that, that I think that product managers are missing out on, the, the knowledge acquisition that they're missing out on is tremendous. Right. Right. And, and I would say I want to just add to that to say part of the reason that one has to have enough volume of externally facing conversations is it does actually prevent us from being too sales focused, if you will, like a, a sales driven organization where the latest conversation with the loudest salesperson becomes the most important thing in the roadmap. If I'm having enough conversations with the market, I actually become more knowledgeable about what the broad market wants. And I can be a good counterweight to that one really loud salesperson who wants their one widget built for their one customer. And that's why having enough volume, enough foots on the street, if you will, mm -hmm. from a product perspective is important. Do you give your product team OKRs related to outbound activities or outbound outcomes? Not directly. Okay. And I'll tell you why. So my product leaders, my VPs of product are very market focused. So I don't have the over rotation issue. What I, what I have put together, for example, our OKRs around user experience, which is something in our unique organization, we hadn't really been super focused on, especially because some of our products are services. So nobody sees them. So why, why should I make, <laughs> you know, a better user experience solution? And so the, the, my OKRs are more around that to say mm -hmm. our solution needs to be much more user-friendly and not just user-friendly in terms of pretty pictures, but actually driving better productivity and things like those, which are important from our, for our bottom line. But as an outgrowth of being more focused on user experience, you can't be focused on user experience if you're not spending time with users, as an example. So that is effectively the OKR that causes them right. to spend time right. there. So they are tied to something measurable that has to do with the substance of being outbound or market facing in some way, maybe not down at an activity level, but there's a, there's a result you're looking for that, that right. only happens if you're out in the marketplace. That's good. That's great. Right. I'm, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to get your sense. And I'm going to ask you this in all fairness, because you have a strategy background. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to share with us things that you see happening trends that you see happening, if you are looking around corners a couple of years out, and you can take any angle of this you want, you can talk about the health IT space, healthcare in general, you can talk about the broad space of technology. What waves, what things do you see coming that could have a massive impact on product management, product management function, CPOs? What, what, what do you see that's, that's bubbling up out there? Sure. Um, there's a lot. I, I'll, I'll save the, the healthcare ones uh, a little bit later, but let me just talk generally about the, the product space and in general. So a couple of things. One, I, I do think that that one trend around the definition of product being a lot more expansive, I expect us to see more and more of that. So when you're talking about insurance products or banking products or things like those that are harder to touch and feel, that's going to become kind of the default of, of what product management is. And, and I think back in the days, in the 90s or 80s, 
was more like brand management. So really product people being more brand managers or category managers. So that's one. I, I would say that AI is is another trend. And I don't want to just say, you know, the generic AI is here, it's going to change everything. But product leaders having to be thoughtful about where it makes sense to apply AI solutions within their product or even AI as a service as a product. So how do you productize something of that sort? Who's do you have an example of what that might look like? Just, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, think so about- I'll give you an example. So in, in, in our space in healthcare, I deal with medical records, and one of the biggest needs in the space is to have either NLP capabilities or generative AI kind of crawl clinical speak. That's clinical language that's in a medical record. So like all the notes that your doctor has written about your health, Mike. That is a, we know that's a source of value, but it hasn't truly been productized. So if I'm going to offer a service that says, I have a service that's going to crawl the medical record and pull out specific trends from that unstructured text. And that in and of itself, not the output is what I'm selling. I'm not selling the data that I pull out of it, but Mm -hmm. that service I'm going to productize the service of generative AI in a medical record. So that's a very different way of, of, of capturing what a solution is because it there's is. really nothing to see. Like again, <laughs> I'll talk about oh, this. And there's actually no tight requirements to define except that the, the, the capability enables a user Right. to be more effective, more productive, and get more value out of the data than they would otherwise, right? I mean, that's, right. The, that's the twist on that that is very intriguing to me. Exactly, exactly. That, that like, imagine gathering requirements on that, writing no, user stories. <laughs> that, that, no, thank it, you. <laughs> exactly. That it becomes a lot more difficult um, than, than when you're selling widgets or things that are, mm-hmm. are easier to kind of encapsulate. And then also the... The definition of success and value moves so rapidly because you're well, it goes completely to the direction you're saying. Because if I'm the user and I don't have a, a aha experience, then it 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 failed the test. It failed the value test, right? Correct, correct, correct. This correct. is uh, this is very intriguing. It's a, it's it's probably a game changer if you think about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that that I think both in in terms of productizing AI or using AI solutions to empower the products that we have, I think is going to be one thing that's a game changer. And I would also say the other thing that I see coming down um, the pike is this whole notion of kind of making, I think Teresa Torres talks about it, of, of, of being an ongoing learner in terms of design. So I think product management has sort of been swept up in the agile train that's been going on. But agile is a very delivery focused effort. The, it's also this, very internally focused. It's it's all about how how good we are doing, right? In exactly. terms of our philosophy <laughs> to drop to drop code. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. And and there's a place for agile. I'm not going to knock agile. I, I, no I question. Think no it question. has its place. But I think where I'm going with that is to say, agile kind of put aside the discovery process. So this notion of continuous discovery and micro discovery is has been lost in the continuous delivery train 
And I think product managers, we're having to go back and kind of rethink how we do, you know, micro prototyping, micro learnings, ongoing discovery with our customers and with our buyers as a way of driving more into the, the scrum teams. And I also like to say as much as I think Agile has its plate is our customers don't care. They, they could care less how the sausage is, is made. So it's much more important for them to actually see value and to experience value, which is kind of, you know, the product manager is the one who's bringing that value to them. And they got to make sure that they translate that gospel into something that's actually coming in the front, in, in the hands of users. I want to push on a couple of things I'm always intrigued by when I have guests on, especially interesting ones like you. If you were looking at your role as CPO, go out two years or three years. What do you, what's different from what you're doing today in the ideal world? You're, you're still at your current company. What has transformed? What, what impact has been made so that the job for you is different and more to your liking, more to the things you want to be doing? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, when I came into the role, I've been in a role for about 11 months-ish. I came at the beginning of the year. My focus was very much on fulfilling our mission to digitize analog solutions that we have and launching these solutions that are more, more digital in nature. I feel like I've made enough progress on that. If I think two years down, there are some elements of my own orientation and my own skills that I have yet to really translate to my team. So I have an excellent team of folks who know our domain really, really well, who know technology really, really well, but that's market-facing in the sense of strategy and asking big questions and being able to frame a question in that way, that's an area where we need to grow a little bit more across my team. So that's probably a 2024 goal that I have for myself and my okay. team. This, the next thing is that whole thing that I talked about cracking the code on AI, that I would like to be able to have a solution that is so enabled by AI, that is so touchless, that it actually is delivering incremental value be above and beyond what we could have done um, ourselves uh, through the tool. So that whole thing that I said is coming around the corner. I want to have been able to do that. So it's sort of my own personal OKR, uh, probably a longer term than it ought to be. But um, that that's the next thing. And I, I think the last thing would be really around co-solutioning with my customers in a much deeper way. I want to be able to embed ourselves in the shoes of the customer and developing solutions with them in a much deeper way. And by that, I mean solutions that essentially are so embedded in their internal workflows that they don't really have to leave their natural environment, either from their existing systems, so that the interchange healthcare is broken because of, you know, silos or, or jumps that users have to go through. And so that's a really important thing, particularly in healthcare, because healthcare moves so slowly and it's so siloed. Okay. That's a great answer, an extensive answer as well. Well, you have a lot of passion for this. I've, I've, I've had time with you offline. We've done a small project together. Where do you look to for inspiration, either inside the sector that you're in, the industry, or outside? What, what do you read? What do you pay attention to? Who do you watch? You mentioned one person 
So I, you know, in, in the space, but I'm curious who else, who else do you, do you, do you use yes. for? <laughs> so, so I'm terrible because I'm not a very good reader. I, I listen to audiobooks or I listen to a, way too many podcasts that I can't keep up with, <laughs> but so I'll just tell you that generally, as far as technology and understanding trends, as far as in technology, you know, I listen to the usual Jason Kalakianis, I can never say his name, This Week in Startups. And then, you know, you have Scott Galloway and those guys at Pivot. So there's sort of like watching what's going on in Silicon Valley type podcasts that I listen to. And then I take the usual on the product side, you know, product mastering, the CPO podcast. So there's a bunch of these kind of just general product spaces that I listen to. And then in healthcare, I spend a lot of time uh, because healthcare moves slowly, but there's a lot of it moving slowly. So just keeping up to speed on what's going on in healthcare, that's, that's a lot of what I spend my time on. So there's a podcast by the folks at Venrock. Uh, who are big investors in healthcare. I also listen to the, the podcast called Rise, which is all around the payer space that I occupy. And then there's kind of general, you know, health affairs has a, has a, the, the PR article, it has a podcast. So there's a whole lot of that. I am, you know, I do follow trends like the lean, what is it called? The lean startup stuff. Yes. Like, I, you know, I, I read the requisite books that everybody seems to be reading, I'll listen to those. <laughs> but I don't think I'm any one zealot for one methodology or one big trend. I, I don't, I tend to be too much of a bumblebee to, to not follow any one person super religiously. Gotcha. Okay. If someone wanted to reach out to you, connect to you after they hear this, how would they, how would you recommend they do that? What's the best way to do that? Oh man, I would say I'm terrible at social. So my, my Twitter or X is pretty much dead. I'm a, I'm a very enthusiastic lurker. So <laughs> I never say anything, but I'm always watching what other people are saying. We don't need to offer that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a lurker. I, I really Some of us <laughs> won't admit it. <laughs> exactly. I will say I'm very active on LinkedIn. I probably check my LinkedIn as much as I check my email. I, um, I think so, we're going to officially yeah. make that the content. But if you want to reach Mo, please yes. catch her on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yes. She yes. Is, she's very, actually, I've experienced it. You're very responsive out there. So, yeah. Yep, that's it. Otherwise, you know, I'm here somewhere in my job <laughs> at home working in Atlanta. Yeah. So that's Mo, I want to say thank you for spending time with me today. I have truly enjoyed this. And I don't say this all of the time, but I'm going to say it today. I would love to maybe have you come back at some point in the future and revisit. I'd love that. Love that. Great. And to the listeners out there, I want to thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate your downloads, your reviews, your comments. We take your comments seriously. We act on them. Look forward to hearing from some of you in that process. Thank you again for joining. This has been Go to Market Disrupted. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.